0: This is patient care theory one, unit four, part two B, airway emergencies. So in the differential diagnosis, um, we talked about unconscious flaccidity of the tongue and a fractured jaw. Now we're gonna talk about foreign body in the trachea uh, or foreign body in the esophagus and severe epistaxis, fractured teeth. Those all sort of fall together because they're um, uh, foreign bodies of one type or another. You know, one's a liquid in the form of blood, the other one's like teeth and, things in the esophagus, fractured larynx, we'll cover next, I think, and anaphylaxis and croup and epiglottitis, we'll cover after that. So, foreign body airway obstruction in the trachea. Um, When do we, based on the um, CPR classes you've taken, when do we intervene when there's a foreign body airway obstruction? So there's foreign body airway obstruction with um, uh, no air exchange, that's a no-brainer, and then there's foreign body airway obstruction with good air exchange or poor air exchange. Describe those for me and when you would intervene. Yeah, Eli? Oh, sorry. Sorry? Okay, but pars- uh, there's some partial airway obstructions where you wouldn't intervene and one where you would. How would they present, to, like what would you hear or see that would say I need to intervene or I need to let them just? B, leave them B. Like If you hear them like, like showing that they're jumping and you don't get any coughing, then it's timely. Okay. I think the other one is like if there's partial airway obstruction, then it's the path uh, to the back. Okay, so partial airway obstruction is divided into two. One you intervene and one you don't intervene. So that's what I'm looking for. Um So it's not a case of you do one technique or another. Yeah. When you're talking, you Right. So when the coffee, you don't intervene, right? And uh, uh, what's the partial airway obstruction in which you do intervene? What would be the clinical presentation? Not wheezing, uh, not gasping so much. Yeah, <laughs> not crackling either. <laughs> well, no sound would be a no-brainer. That because that's a total airway obstruction, so you got to intervene. But uh, when at the well, if they can ask you to, then uh, they're good. You leave them alone. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a no-brainer as well, right? If they're unconscious, uh, you're going to intervene for sure. But what if they got a partial airway obstruction? If they're coughing, you're not going to intervene, but what else might they be doing that would prompt you to intervene? Yeah. Nope. What's that? Nope, not holding neck either. No. Yeah. No. Uh, So, okay. Let's not make this this any more painful for you. Uh, So, uh, partial airway obstruction is divided into partial airway obstruction with adequate air exchange or (laughs) inadequate air exchange. So, the adequate air exchange is that they're coughing, so you just let them cough. But if they've got a really weak cough or if they're stridorous, right? They got Mm -hmm. So stridorous, can't speak, um, weak cough, those are the ones you intervene. But if they can cough, you leave them alone. Yeah, sorry. You knew that, right? Now that I've said that, that that's coming back to you from CPR class and yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they present with a weak cough, unable to speak, stridor apnea. If you had your slides in front of you, you could have just raised your hand and given the answer because it was right there. You didn't read it. it, That's okay because you're paying attention to me. Yeah, Yeah, I know. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was sincere too. I love it. Um, So typical cofactors with adults, alcohol and aging, right? So um, you're going to get a lot of calls to nursing homes where someone's choking. Usually when you get there, they've cleared the obstruction, uh, but it's very common in the dining room and nursing home. That's a routine thing. Um, Just don't allow yourself to to get to the point where you're taking your time because it's a nursing home. No one wants to choke, right? Um, You might get, I've had times where I've, been to five or six choking calls at a nursing home in the span of a month, and you never want to get to that point attitude-wise where you're going, oh, whatever, you know, take our time getting there. Someone choking, imagine, doesn't matter what age you are, how horrifying it would be to choke, to think that you might die. Frightening, right? All right. So. Form body occlusion of the esophagus is rare, can cause a partial or a complete obstruction. Um, now, when someone occludes their trachea, which is most common, uh, esophageal obstructions that compress the posterior wall of the trachea is very rare, but when someone, uh, s- and, and it's almost always a child, I've never heard of adult uh, compressing their airway from having something lodged in their esophagus. If they've got something lodged in their esophagus, the one distinction is that uh, in addition to being stridorous and having difficulty uh, exchanging air, they're probably gonna drool a lot. So that might give you some indication that the the obstruction (coughs) is in the esophagus. The other thing is you might actually see the obstruction, the side of the neck. You know, if you see a big ball right here or something, that tells you it's in the esophagus. and particularly if it's below the Adam's apple, because it's a large ball, you're unlikely to get through the trachea. If it obstructs the trachea, it's likely sitting right on the vocal cords, very unlikely to get past the vocal cords. Right? <coughs> um, so tissue foreign body can include the trachea uh, uh, in kids, we already talked about this. Um, So some choking stats in Canada, and don't worry, you don't have to memorize these stats. I don't test on these stats. Stats are bullshit, percentages are bullshit. Um, No one should be tested on that. Unless you're taking a history course, sure you're gonna get tested on dates, things like that. But this is just for your interest, to to appreciate how serious a problem this is. So in Canada, there's about a death every 12 hours, which is quite remarkable. Uh, There's a three to one ratio of men to women. Men are generally stupid. Uh, (laughs) Men uh, hurt themselves accidentally far more frequently than women do. I'm sorry, but we're just not uh, the brightest species. Um, We take more risks. Hmm? Yeah, Yeah, it's not a good thing. Don't be proud of it. (laughs) So (laughs) Uh, So foreign body airway obstruction, the fourth leading cause of hospitalization and death in children under the age of four uh majority of choking uh suffocation deaths occur in the first year of life so again you're a paramedic you're a parent you're going to be a little paranoid right your house is going to be like fort knox every cupboard locked down that kid has no access to anything right the (coughs) majority of hospitalizations occur in the first three years 95 percent of deaths happen in in the home uh, presence of older siblings in the household increases the risk for choking. Why do you think that is? Johnny, do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it might be, so it might be peer pressure, right? Might be a peer pressure issue. Or it might be just, you know, you've, you assume, you know, the nine-year-old is looking after the three-year-old. Um, yeah, not a good assumption, right? <laughs> not a good assumption. So uh, possibly because toys and other objects with small parts are more likely to uh, be present um, so, mm-hmm. Causes of asphyxiation, so choking, usually uh, food items or <coughs> small objects. We see a lot of aspiration of coins, kids who aspirate nickels, quarters, get them caught in their trachea. And oftentimes they don't completely obstruct the airway. They, just ha- they may be striders, they may be struggling to breathe, but they don't require abdominal thrust. So if they've got a partial airway obstruction with good air exchange, I just transport them. You know, mom's holding the kid, just let mom hold the kid, take him out to the ambulance, put the kid on the stretcher, put mom in the, in the jump seat, and uh, off you go. Uh, suffocation, so obstruction by an external object that blocks the nose and mouth, uh, plastic bags, bedding, mattresses. We should really get rid of things like balloons. Kids choke on balloons, and you know what? We, we have a limited amount of helium in the world, did you know this? And helium's used for medical diagnostic tools. It actually pisses me off when I see people buying balloons with helium. We don't need to consume helium, honestly. Strangulation, so external constriction of the neck by things like curtain, co- uh, curtain cords. Um. You know, if you see curtain cords that loop, you don't see those anymore. They're usually separated for the reason that kids have choked to death, um, inadvertently hung themselves on curtain cords. Um, clothing, drawstrings, things like that or entrapment Um, I've done calls like this and I know of other medics who've done calls like this where you know the head gets caught or the neck gets caught in some constricting place like a gap in play equipment or uh, the bunk bed barrier bars of the stairs uh, between the balcony rails uh, car windows you know a window that's partly open the kid you know, gets their head in there and then slides their head down between the, the post and the window. Um, I worked with a guy who uh, uh, was, he was on the, uh, they went to, they flew to London and their patient was in cardiac arrest. So they were flying back empty. And on the way back, uh, they got called to land at a farm at a scene for a kid who had um, got his head caught between the, the window and the frame of the car door. And uh, they were right on top of it, literally. They were like a five minute, five minutes from this farm, and they landed right at the farm. They, recessi- they started CPR on this kid, and they got a pulse back, and the kid survived. It was just total fluke. The closest Anvil's was about 20 minutes away, and they were just there, like five minutes away. They landed right at the farm and resuscitated this kid. It was an incredible story. Um, so traumatic, like crush asphyxias, uh, so mechanical fixation of the chest, for example, a kid who's uh, caught in any fallen furniture. So um, all my big furniture was, was tacked to the wall <laughs> because k- kids pull drawers open, right? And they step into them and the dresser comes down on top of them. And that'll fridge. that happen to you, yeah. Pull, trying to pull the fridge and you can see it going. Yeah, oh my God. I mean, the, and the fridge should never teeter like that, right? but, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah. kids will find a way, it's amazing. So, um, garage door. I, I mentioned that because uh, I know a crew who had a kid who was trapped under a garage door and couldn't breathe. Uh, burial in soil, right So we see adults who do that, like they, they uh, dig a hole in the ground next to the the, the basement wall of their house because they want to repair a leak, and they go down there, and then the, the soil collapses around them and they end up trapped or they. Worse yet, they bring their kid down there and it collapses on the two of them. I've heard of that happening. Um, grain or other materials. Uh, I had a guy who was buried in a grain silo. We had to dig him out and uh, we were unable to resuscitate him. Uh, and entrapment can result in suffocation, strangulation, and asphyxiation, right? So it's all serious stuff. So with foreign body obstructions clearing the airway, we do chest thrusts if they're unconscious, digital sweeps. Um, if they're unconscious as per BCLS, abdominal thrusts if they're conscious. And um, um, I've never had to do abdominal thrusts on a patient. uh, So that gives you some idea of just how uncommon that is. But I know at least four or five medics who have and were successful with abdominal thrusts. And in each case, what they've said was, a bystander or a family member was doing abdominal thrusts, but they weren't doing it hard enough. So they came along and did it. But you know, um, it comes with risks, right? The benefit is you get the airway obstruction out, but the risk is you can cause intra-abdominal bleeding. So you know, you get an obstruction out, uh, and the adult or the kid feels fine. They've got to go to a hospital, right? They've got to be monitored, and they may need a abdominal alt- ultrasound to rule out bleeding. Right? it's not a benign procedure. Now, when you're working with an advanced care paramedic. Um, and you get a call for a choking person, you always start with the basics. Um, And um, uh, because your ACP partner is going to take a good minute to get their kit open, to get their airway kit open, to get out laryngoscope, McGill forceps, suction ready. So you should be doing uh, chest thrust or abdominal thrust, depending on whether they're conscious or unconscious, and um, uh, until that advanced equipment is out and ready to go. Bleeding in the airway uh, from airway trauma or epistaxis, uh, the best way to clear the airway is to turn them over as a unit onto the side and then suction them. Because if they've got a big wad of vomit, a Yankar suction tip is not gonna do the trick, right? You gotta get them over and then uh, apply the suction. Yeah. Nosebleed, yeah. Uh, so for nosebleed, for epistaxis, by the way, um, when someone's got a severe nosebleed, the best thing to do for them if you're you know, um, just at home or something, someone has a nosebleed, have them sit straight up, neutral position, not bent back, not bent forward and just pinch below the the bone, the nasal bone right. and pinch and hold for a good 15 minutes. Um, that's the best bet and try to encourage them not to swallow the blood because blood is very irritating to the stomach, and uh, you get enough blood in the stomach and they'll projectile vomit. It's really nasty, really nasty. And the first time you see projectile vomiting, uh, you'll be amazed. I mean, it's like an exorcist experience. <laughs> um, and um, I've had projectile vomiting in the back of the annals where you know the patient's sitting here, the, the doors to the annals are here, and they vomited with such force, it hit the back of the doors. And I had to turn this way because it was all over my coat and the back of my head and you know, just sprayed back. So it's nasty. It's really nasty. I remember we, were, we, were, we had a guy on a stretcher, and we were moving He had a gastrointestinal bleed. <coughs> and we were moving him down the hall. There were four of us there. We were moving him down the hall. <coughs> and um, uh, to the elevator and I said to them, guys, scatter, he's gonna projectile vomit. And so we literally scattered and he, uh, we were going by the nursing station and he, he projectile vomited and it went at least 15 feet over the, like, over the entire nursing counter and onto the floor and all over the, pa- the books and it was all blood and food and it was just disgusting. And uh, fortunately, there were no nurses sitting at the nursing station. There were a couple standing off to the side, and they were just <coughs> looking like aghast at this sight. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> and all I could say to them was, "Sorry about that." Bye. <laughs> so, so two of us, two of us got, two of us, my partner and I got in the in the elevator with him. The other two said. Uh, we'll take the stairs, (laughs) we'll see you down there. (laughs) And uh, so my partner and I were like uh, off to one side and prepared to move his head very quickly so that he'd vomit in the other direction. And um, uh, we carry emesis bags, so these one-way bags that are fantastic, but uh, I'm not sure you could even hold it uh, when someone projectile vomits because it comes out with such force. You know, you'd have to be holding it with both hands with all your might and then it'll probably just go part way in and come right back out. So, um, fractured teeth, um, uh, blood in the airway, they may present with gurgling, gagging, choking. Um, so, we suction, position, retrieve if possible. And um, fractured jaw, they may, be, uh, they may have stertorous respirations if they have no control of the jaw and the tongue falls back. But there's likely to be blood there, so they may be gurgling, gagging, cho- gag- gagging, rather. Uh, so, Uh, Miscellaneous, I mentioned this earlier, so someone who has a cancerous growth uh, in their oropharynx or in their neck that compromises the airway, or someone has a a hematoma from a stab wound or a a gunshot wound, right? There's not a whole lot you can do about expanding hematoma in the neck except get the (whistles) out of there. Diesel therapy, as some medics like to say, although we're moving away from diesel vehicles. (coughs) <coughs> so they may present with uh, strider, gurgling, gagging, choking, sturders, any one of a variety of different things. And just, we just allow them to assume the, the position that's most comfortable for them, uh, suction if necessary, reposition if necessary. So quiz. Um, what is a clinical presentation for a patient who has a partial airway obstruction with poor air exchange uh, or a complete airway obstruction from a foreign body, we'll say? <laughs> so partial error obstruction with poor air exchange I asked you earlier I gave you the answer because it was painful to watch you suffer hmm uh, th- maybe striders yeah anything else and what was the last thing you said uh, so apnea would be a total obstruction uh, so we're talking about partial airway obstruction. So yeah, uh, everything was right except the apnea. Apnea would be total obstruction that would be a no-brainer, right? That uh, would be easy. The apnea you're going to intervene. Apnea was on the list though. Was it? For <laughs> partial <laughs> airway obstruction? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, we're well, going to take that off then. Uh, Partial obstruction, poor so exchange. No, 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 no. What is a clinical presentation for a patient who has partial <coughs> airway obstruction with poor air exchange or a complete airway obstruction? So apnea would be a complete airway obstruction, right? Yeah. So just write a caveat there. Yeah. I didn't think I was as dumb as I look, but uh-huh. happens sometimes. Uh, what are the typical cofactors for foreign body airway obstruction in adults? Is it, is it Charlie? Yes. Charlie. Okay. Uh, alcohol and age. Yeah, alcohol and age. Good. Do you guys have the answers to this on your slides? No. Okay. Good. I thought I was pretty sure I deleted them. Um, How is it possible for a foreign body lodged in the esophagus to obstruct the airway? Uh, uh, pass up the yeah. Place. Sorry. First name? Taylor. Taylor right. Thanks. Yeah, good. Tyler, I know you have the same answer, good. All right, good. Um, uh, the steps for uh, conscious adult choking, unconscious adult choking, I just reviewed the BLS-PCS, Heart and Stroke Foundation, uh, guidelines for that. Um, how we you manage an obstructed airway in a patient with a jaw fracture with excessive secretions in the airway? So you got a ton of blood in their airway. What are you going to do? Uh, don't, uh, is it Brendan? Brendan. Turn to their side, start suctioning. Yeah, turn them to the side, start suctioning, or have them sit up. Like, they they need to assume a position of comfort, right? I mean, imagine, imagine you've got a mouthful of blood and you feel like you're choking on it. You would struggle to get in whatever position you could, like, and just let the patient do that. I don't worry about C spine too much. If someone's got a C spine fracture, they're going to be in excruciating pain and they're going to protect their own uh, C spine. Take. Yeah, you might have to do a jaw thrust. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, exactly. So jaw thrust and suction. Um, I should add um, position. Good, okay. Let's do one more.